Yeah, this is Arnold Schwarzenegger. What is happening, you beautiful bastards? Gerald? Jerry's not here, man. Welcome to Beautiful Bastards. He's probably just pissing himself the entire time. Operation Midnight Climax is the perfect title. I'm going to start it off with Jerry that Arnold, when I do him, is always angry. Uh, yeah. <laughs> He's bullshit. They fucked up his latte. So, to what do we owe the honor of Arnold visiting us today? Uh, so, today's topic is psychedelics in all shapes, forms, and fashion. Yeah. So, uh, psychedelics. What was my thought process? You've lost it already. We just yeah. started. Yes, I know. This is bad. I'll just edit out what I have to. There's something very specific I had thought about on the way home. Is this the where you wanted to start with how everyone, every, every teacher, scientist, whoever who looks into drugs or, or psychedelics... Yeah. <clears throat> As soon as he starts talking about them, everyone looks at them like, oh, he's just a druggie and I don't want to listen to him anymore. Yeah. Um, so that actually, I think the, uh, the conscious, the, the society's consciousness is shifting on that topic. Uh, so psychedelic uh, substances, I don't really want to call them drugs. That I feel like that has a negative connotation to it, which doesn't really apply to psychedelics. Yeah, I mean, society's going to call them what they call them. Uh, you know, it's interesting uh, during the research for this how much I saw things that I didn't know of why we look at them the way we do nowadays. Yeah, and actually, I think that everybody, generally speaking, in Western society, uh, the younger generations are coming up on a situation where they're recognizing what these could do for people because the war on drugs is winding down and coming to an end now. I don't know uh, if it's coming to an end, but it, I think I think it is because look at Oregon. Oregon pretty much legalized all drugs. Which, for those of you who don't know, uh, just I believe Oregon did legalize all drugs. Yeah, I don't at think the there's most current election. I don't think anything was excluded, so I, I'm pretty sure they legalized all hard drugs. I think they just legalized everything. But on top of that, Colorado, which they were the forefront of legalizing marijuana, they also recently legalized shrooms. So, psilocybin, uh, they, you can now go to like, uh, I guess it's a psychedelic bar. Mm. So you can go in there, eat your shrooms and just I'm sit all there. for people being able to eat shrooms. Uh, I don't know if I'd want to do it at a bar. Well, I might be using the wrong term. I don't really know what the setting is. I, yeah. I'm sure they're still ironing that out. Yeah. But I think they probably just legalized them rec recreationally. Yes. Just like they did weed in so many but other that's states. The, that's really the first step. And uh, Oh, hell yeah. You know, I don't really know what the setting is as far as where they're allowed to do it. But I think you and I probably both know setting matters a lot with psychedelics. Oh, God, yeah. Your mindset, your setting, uh, where you are, who's with you. Which is funny because if you, I watched some uh, documentaries getting into this for the research for this, and it played all those like uh, those you know anti drug commercials and and uh, school specials from back in the seventies and eighties. Oh my god, it was awful! And all they talked about was setting and set and all that crap. Right. So psychedelics, it's a pretty, it's a very very 
broad family of substances. Oh, God, yeah. I, weed is included in there, and I have no clue how. Yes, it is. So they base it on uh, a couple of different things. So a psychedelic is a substance, and again, I'm not going to refer to it as a drug just because I don't want to group it with things like heroin. Because you're a fucking tree-hugging hippie? Uh, yes. Oh, all right, my Especially bad. on psychedelics. Trees are my best friend. Uh, but when you ingest these substances, they can cause mental changes and effects ranging from your emotions, so it'll affect your emotions, your perceptions of reality. Oh, yeah. Uh, and your cognitive processing. Yeah, I would agree with that. So it can actually affect all of your other senses, too. So you can see things, taste things, hear things, and smell things that aren't even there, which, depending on what you're taking can seem just as real as you and I sitting here talking. Now, you have not tried psychedelics in their uh, form. Uh, no, but I... So I can't say I don't have any... I, I can't say I'm lacking experience in psychedelic uh, experiences because I have actually done... Uh, I wouldn't say extensive, but I've dabbled in meditation and things like hypertrophic breathing and things like that. So... You're, the human brain actually makes psychedelic substances. Oh, God, yeah. Uh, one of which, uh, the most commonly known one, dimethyltryptamine. Oh, yep. Yeah. DMT. So DMT. That one scares me. Um, I don't want to go on a trip for 14 years that lasts five minutes. <laughs> well, I mean, it'd be fascinating, but at the same time, like, my brain would be thinking about a lot of stuff, and I consider myself a pretty stable person. Well, it kind of depends on where you go. Yeah, how do you know where you're going to go? Uh, I've heard a lot of different stories. Uh, what I find actually really fascinating about it is, while they all are kind of in the same vein of experience, everyone, when they go wherever they go on DMT, mm. it's, it's pretty, uh, it's a personal place. It's not like you and I are going to go to the same place. It's a similar experience, but you well, might Well, I wouldn't see... imagine anyone would, would have a mirrored experience. I, I, to me, every brain... Every person is so different. Yeah. The way they think and everything. It, it, it would have to be a unique experience. But uh, on the topic of your 14-year trip in five minutes, um, psychedelics can actually affect how you perceive time. So for the user, it can either dramatically speed up time or dramatically slow it down. Now, I have some experience with psychedelics. Okay. Uh, I've done shrooms before. Uh, and they were great. They were amazing. I was a young kid. I loved every minute of it. Uh, it made it, it. I didn't see too much stuff move, but um, I had the time of my life doing nothing. Really? I was just walking. It was a nor'easter, and I was walking around with my buddies, and we were just literally walking down the street in the middle of a snowstorm. It had the time of my life. You're just totally cool with it. No, literally. So, old lady asked me to shovel her driveway. I was no thanks. I didn't even care that I told her no thanks. I mean, it's a little old lady who needed my help, and I told her to fuck off. <laughs> Uh, well, so you did shrooms and that's probably one of the most common substances that people are going to take recreationally. Uh, it's starting to get some more popularity in the medical industry now, but we, yeah, they're I doing really, some really cool stuff. With I it. wanted to focus on a handful of, uh, the most common psychedelics today, mm -hmm. which would be psilocybin, which is shrooms, yep. uh, dimethyltryptamine, which is DMT and lysergic acid, dithelamide, which is LSD. Yeah, no one ever calls it whatever the hell you just said. That's true. Uh, some people do though, because like if you want to talk to if you want to talk to a scientist about it or a medical professional, a lot yeah, of them. Yeah, but as soon as they talk about it, they're just ousted, so they're not going to talk about it. 
That's true. Um, but they're actually, those are in a group, uh, a family group of psychedelics, which I didn't know this until we started looking into it for the podcast episode. There are actually four families of psychedelics. Mm, tell me more. So the first one, which is uh, the one where these, the main ones we're talking about are involved in this family, the serotonergic psychedelics. That's the family that we're talking about mainly today. But the other three are empathogens and enactogens, dissociatives, and cannabinoids, which is the other families are where you're going to run into uh, pot being classified as a psychedelic. So does it go into an explanation of what each of those is and how they affect you? Uh, it kind of does, but I, I kind of wanted to pare it down to something that everyone's already familiar with because we could we could literally go on for an entire college career about psychedelics. Oh, yeah, this one, you can travel down the rabbit hole literally yeah. with this one. Yeah, I mean... It's just an endless amount of information. People major in this in college. Yeah, which, and I sit there and I'm, I, I, I can't help but think, I'm skeptic. And I sit there, I'm like, oh God, am I, li- am I just reading something from another pothead? Like he just really <laughs> wants people to do drugs. So he just needs to share it with the world. I couldn't, all throughout research, I couldn't help that. And that, that's part of the problem. <laughs> well, a lot of my research, I, I wanted to base it on uh, scientific side of things. Oh, yeah. Because for myself, I've never done a psychedelic drug, so I really, I can't speak to that. You know what I mean? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Uh, I'm, I can, but it's still the, the scientific aspect of all of it and the medical aspect of all of it fascinates me. I agree. I, I took it as a kid just being dumb and whatever, bored on a weird, you know, snowstorm. Yeah. Well, that's actually how I think the general population comes across it. They just, you know, in, when they're a teenager, someone's got shrooms or uh, someone's got acid, and they're like, hey, man, want some? Yeah, acid's a little bit more powerful one. Uh, it really, it's, it's dosage dependent. Which I watched uh, the Netflix special, uh, special. Uh, I can't remember what it is, uh, something trip. Anyways, it's literally just a bunch of celebrities talking about how they did either shrooms or acid and what their trips were like. And I was like, I just wasted an hour of my life. Yeah, so that, that's actually a problem in pop culture where when someone brings up the topic of psychedelics or just any kind of drug, really, it, te- it kind of turns into uh, this is the cool shit that happened when I did it. And I think it does a serious disservice to psychedelics especially. I like what they're doing with it as far as uh, like the medical field with, um, I know they're... They're doing a lot with PTSD patients. Um, um, so a lot of people with depression have been taking it as well uh, in research studies. Yeah, they're microdosing. Yeah, but that's actually something that's, it's kind of recent. Uh, as I said at the start of the episode, the war on drugs is winding down now. So it's kind of taking away that taboo where you can't, you know, they're not letting medical professionals basically do all these studies that they're finding out now are beneficial to people with any kind of mental health issue or uh, traumatic experience issues. Mm. Uh, But this actually goes back to basically uh, as soon as people crawled out of the soup, uh, they, you know, when people develop consciousness. Yes. uh, Whenever that happened in a timeline. Or even before they developed consciousness. Maybe, maybe. Uh, So basically... Before we were human beings, Homo sapiens, we're just another animal. Uh, but then we somehow, spontaneously or otherwise, developed consciousness. Yeah. 
And modern man stood up off the ground, looked around, and they were like, holy fuck, I know what I am. So what do you think the first thing they do is? They find some drugs. <laughs> they find mushrooms and cow shit and just start shoving them down their throat. Uh, so you're talking about stone, the stoned ape theory. Uh, well, I don't really know much about the stoned ape theory myself, and I know that that's something that you're a big fan of. But I, what I wanted to point out was that we have a very long and colorful history with psychedelics as oh, a species. Absolutely. So we'll get into the stoned ape theory in a little bit, but as far as like our, our as a species, and it might not be mushrooms, but there are some, some, we are, t- psychedelics are tied to a lot of things, especially religious things, which makes all the sense in the world. If you think about it back in the day, you know, they would basically drug their entire flock or, or you know, to where they're seeing shit. Now they're seeing Jesus. Or I was thinking about today dragons unicorns all this crap that we know nowadays was that just someone tripping balls back in like medieval times oh my god that's not something ever even crossed my mind no never but you know uh I but was born now in the that you car. say that <laughs> that makes a lot of sense it, absolutely like it, it just a so there's a lot of scientific evidence that found that um they were either drugging the wine they were not drugging is the wrong word they were spiking is probably a better term yeah, spiking the wine yeah and uh so, if you don't know, LSD is actually a synthesized substance from um, a fungus. Ergot, right? Or ergot. Which, ergot is actually a parasitic fungus that grows on rye. So, that's probably how they came about finding out that they could eat this basically contaminated food. And the shit that they can scrape off of it got them all fucked up. But the problem is... This you is just so many people died. Yeah. So if you just scrape ergot off a rye and you either snort it or somehow ingest it, uh, you know, just orally. You're probably going to die. Yeah. It has a lot of really bad side effects and hallucinations are just one really small aspect of it. But it has now, to be synthesized to be safely taken. Well, is it even synthesized? Because I know that, you know, if you talk to a lot of brewers, it's still a problem nowadays. Yeah. And they have to, they have to pay attention to it. But if back in the day you'd have an entire harvest they wouldn't know they just right. they'd harvest the wheat or rye or whatever and make their bread whatever and then all of a sudden an entire town loses their mind or at least it looks like they're losing their mind yeah so <laughs> that's this basically is where you get the whole thing is she heavier than a duck or is it lighter than a duck it's lighter than a duck isn't it yeah so basically uh if you were on psychedelics i could see how you would come to the conclusion that if you tie a woman up and throw her into the river and she floats, she's a witch and you have to kill her. But if she sinks, she'll die and she's not a witch. Problem solved. Which I didn't get into it in this research. I don't, I don't know if you did, but there are people who believe that the entire Salem witch trials thing happened because of her God. Yeah, I've heard a little bit about that. I don't, I don't know any details on it. That was, so there were so many different rabbit holes you could go down. And I, I had already had some knowledge about how psychedelics came to be what we know them as today. And again, I, I said I wanted to stick with something a little more scientific and fact-based and let you deal with the crazy shit. I like crazy shit. Yeah. So what, what, did they, what, what do they think happened with the Salem Witch Trials? So essentially, the same, just what we were talking about, is they had a harvest, Ergot was on the harvest or whatever. And again, I didn't research this. This is just what I'm, I'm hearing. Yeah, that's fine. And 
they harvest it. They they put it into whatever they're putting it into, uh, bread, whatever cereal or right. whatnot. Uh, and then the entire town eats it because you know, that's what's going to happen back then. It's not like they're getting it from a supermarket. And the entire town starts seeing shit, and they're thinking that holy shit, Nancy next to me is a fucking witch. <laughs> but on top of that, they, I mean, I've uh, I've done some other stuff into the Salem witch trials. That sounded like some just mischievous. Like I don't like my neighbor; she's a witch. Oh yeah, yeah, that definitely happened. But human beings are really good at taking advantage of fucked up situations. Oh god, yeah. Um, but throughout history, actually, uh, so you know, going back to when we first came to develop consciousness, um. We don't really know exactly how they ended up coming across the fact that they could take this and have a spiritual experience. Yeah, I've always wondered that. So historically, before, I'll say before the 20th century, uh, psychedelics served a more spiritual purpose than what we use them for now. Oh, absolutely. I mean, a lot of people now still use them as kind of uh, a gateway into a spiritual realm. I think more so nowadays, I want to say before, maybe, maybe until 2010-ish, and I'm pulling that completely out of my butt, uh, people were using it purely for recreational. Now it seems like they're doing it more to widen their mind a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so the, the view on what you can get out of a psychedelic is kind of expanding now. But what's interesting is we're broadening our ideas of what we can do with it, but we're actually rediscovering what our ancestors already knew oh yeah so a lot of these like the bible for example uh we've listened to other podcasts that talked about it uh but you can look this up check things out yourself if you really want to know everything you could find out about this but the bible is full of psychedelic reference which again you travel down that rabbit hole of is it really or is it we're just looking for them so really you can find whatever you're looking for if you look for it but I don't know how familiar you are with the Abrahamic religions. That would be Islam, Judaism, Christianity, things like that. I love the ideas of religion. I love r- learning about them, but I'm not very learned in them. So I'm not religious. Uh, Neither am I. I actually... Except for praise Keanu. Yes. Praise be Keanu, our Lord and Savior. So I'm actually... I'm a lot more tolerant now of the idea of religion now that I'm older. You uh, are not tolerant of religion? I, I, I don't think intolerant is the right term, uh, but I basically just assumed it was all bullshit when I was younger. Um, however, I think that I've kind of expanded my view on what's possible in that respect, especially after I tried, uh, I would say I'd spent about six months heavily meditating. And doing hypertrophic breathing, which when you meditate, I don't think there's a lot of scientific evidence on what happens in your brain when you're doing it. Yeah, that'd be a hard one to prove. Yeah, because the problem is when your brain is creating these chemicals, the only way to actually see that it's doing it and confirm it is to bust open your skull while you're meditating. Fuck it, let's do it. And then there goes your whole meditation. It's going to take you right out of the moment. That's shitty. Someone (laughs) just fucked up your meditation. Yeah. This is where we're screwed because, like, I want to say, like, up until maybe, maybe the 60s, as far as I know, I think the government probably would have done that. Nowadays, eh, you can't touch someone. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Um, but speaking of the government, uh, so the, the, the war on drugs started, uh, what was it, the 70s? 
Now, do you think that, I don't know, is Russia as hard on the war on drugs as we are? Or is it just America that's anal about you doing drugs? I I think you could probably sum it up as all of Western society. Okay. So I, as much as I would be hesitant to do it, I'd have to group Russia in that. Uh, I don't know. I think they're kind of a weird abomination in terms of Western society. Well, I think if if you get into the whole Western society thing, I believe that's everything Europe and over. Uh, I kind of consider Western society as anybody who is modernized. So that's pretty much everyone except for North Korea and a couple tribes. Yeah, I mean, basically, yeah. Uh, But if you're meditating because your body can make these same substances that you can farm from plants. Uh, you can get these same experiences in basically long form. It takes you, takes you months to do the same thing that you could just take a handful of shrooms for. Yeah, it takes a lot of discipline. Yeah. But I know that you said you didn't see anything when you were uh, taking shrooms. It's not that I didn't see anything. Uh, I didn't see anything crazy. Um, th- what you see is, is what it is. It's just it right. moves. Okay. To me, it was more of a euphoria. So for me, when I was actually heavily meditating, uh, which I stopped, by the way, because it got a little bit too intense for me to keep up with it. You seen the crazy stuff? I did see some crazy stuff, but it was, it wasn't the intensity of what I was seeing that was the issue. It was the intensity of having to meditate for that long. Because I would, like, I would do it at night when my kids were younger and they were in bed because, you know, you got to be quiet in the house when the kids are... uh, babies in their sleep. I took the opposite approach, but okay. Well, most of the time we were perfectly fine with being loud, but this is back when my wife was working on the back shift. So it was, I was literally me by myself with the dog at night. Kids are in bed. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to try my hand at this crazy shit. So I actually, uh, sometimes I would do a guided one, which you can get anywhere. Uh, oh, like uh, listening to a... Yeah. So just somebody with a soothing voice guiding you through a meditation, which was kind of, that's how I was self-taught i guess you could say on meditation see i know i could never do this it is not something that i could really sustain because of just how i i think it's mentally taxing over the long term i guess it, it's better for you mentally um it'll help you relax and everything like that but getting there is hard and i had one experience in particular uh where i was sitting on my couch and i was actually i was doing the guided meditation and I would close my eyes, but remain awake. So it was still early in the evening, so I wasn't tired. Yeah, I would be asleep. And I first noticed something was happening because I could smell the ocean, which there were no dead fish in my house. I don't even fish. You you lose your mind? Yes. So I could smell the ocean, and after about five or ten minutes, I could start to hear it. And it actually started to come into my field of view as if I was at the ocean in broad daylight. Now, so you're getting into a, uh, an interesting topic, which is more the power of the human brain, which I think is right. is amazing. But I mean, it, that 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 goes all over the place with that one. Yeah, I mean, you could you could get into a, a lot of different uh, topics on you know was that a psychedelic experience, or was it just imagination? Was it a dream? That you could argue that too. Uh, I really don't think it was a dream because I stopped when it started to happen and thought for a second, how the fuck is that happening? So I would just go right back into it and it was still, maybe it was just still fresh in my mind or maybe that kind of meditation did trigger 
some kind of uh, production of one of these substances in my brain. Because your brain, as I said, does make DMT. And it's actually one of the things that is responsible for near-death experiences. Oh, you, I understand what you're saying. So you're saying when you're when you, in a near-death experience, or you're near death, you're having this vision of yeah, so your life flashing before your what eyes? A lot of, or, what a lot of scientists think that is happening, which you can actually, they believe you're basically reproducing this when you're meditating, is when your body is dying, whether it's a traumatic accident or you're just on your deathbed and you're about to go. Complete shock. Yeah. Uh, one of the ways that it copes with this is to flood your brain with these psychedelic substances. Oh, yeah. It just releases it. Yeah. Everything. Um, and one thing that a lot of people will learn here about psychedelics is it's it can have a very calming effect. It can make you... It can really reduce your anxiety and your stress. Um, but when you have enough of it, you hallucinate, which is why if you take DMT orally and or you smoke it then you're going to just go right into a trip which could last 15 minutes but you've been gone for a year which i don't want to take this left hand turn but uh so i was reading on one uh it's a type of mushroom that it was taken i don't think i don't know if people take it nowadays maybe they do uh i cannot remember the name of it but it if you just took it you found it on the ground you ate it right you might have a little bit of something nothing crazy but if you drink it after something else has eaten it, meaning you're drinking their urine, you will trip balls. How did we figure this out? Oh, I know. Ex- I don't know what it's called, but I know exactly what you're talking about. They actually, they specifically feed it to animals so that they can drink their piss from it. Yeah. How did we figure this out? I mean, I think it's bad enough that like tobacco in general, how do we figure out what we need to smoke tobacco? Well, humans are a strange, strange species. Oh my God, are we ever? I mean, really, if you think about it, if you develop consciousness and you realize that most of your day is not hunting, what the fuck else are you going to do? Yeah, I mean, back in the day, I think there was a lot more to just not. I mean, you were hunting, you were harvesting, you were trying to literally not die. Yeah, you spent all your time not dying, just like any other animal. The difference was you were aware of it. Whereas an animal is just going with its instincts, it's just doing what an animal does. A person can stop and think about that. I'm stopping and thinking as a saber tooth mauls my ass to death. Right. But, you know, you can you can sit there as you're getting eaten and think, why is this happening to me? When another animal would just basically go into shock and die. Yeah, I've seen images of animals just literally not caring that they're eating or they're they have to be in shock, I imagine. But they're just sitting there getting munched on, not minding. But that aside, um, where were we going with that? You, you tend to sidetrack me. I'm really good at that. So what we were trying to get into yeah. was how our idea today, or at least for me, now I was born in the 80s, Jerry was born in the 80s. Right. And what the, 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 the culture's view on, on drugs or psychedelics or anything of that nature is, and a lot of it goes back to, I think it was 1973 with Nixon. So it actually, it started before that. Yeah, but Nixon's when it really... Nixon, I would, I would say, is, I wouldn't say solely responsible, but it was his, his administration that started the war on drugs. Yeah, and it kind of gets... Yeah, this research, we could do a whole episode on this part, and I found it fascinating. So 1973, Nixon puts into effect this 
war on drugs, right? Uh, and so he calls, he signs the Controlled Substances Act into law in 1970. Sorry, it wasn't 73. And it called for the regulation of, of all sorts of drugs and substances. Uh, I'll get into the, the five schedules, which I also found cool. But in, all right, so 73 was when the DEA was created. So Nixon created this whole thing because he wanted something to where the problem is it was a fight against him, against the hippies and against African-Americans at the time. Right. And in a 94 interview, uh, Nixon's domestic police chief, John Ehrlichman, I think I'm probably jacking that up. Uh, he provided all sorts of information on what was happening inside and Nixon's ulterior motives and whatnot. And all of it was trying to help Nixon keep his job because who didn't like Nixon was hippies and African-Americans. And so literally this guy has a quote says, we knew we couldn't make it illegal to be either against the war or black, but by getting the public to associate hippies with marijuana and blacks with heroin, and then criminalizing both heavily, we could distribute those or disrupt those communities. That is fucked up. That's that's beyond fucked up. But you know what? It really doesn't surprise me, um, because we, while we, I don't think we're doing that quite to that extent in America anymore. We're still doing that as a country to other countries. I mean, I, I still think we're ha- it's happening in America. But to me, that's when you, you've started. You you're convincing the rest of America, right? Because not all of America was was smoking weed and dropping acid no especially at that time and well i mean they had but it was all younger people right so so i i don't know what the uh ratio was in the population but that was a time when the government was actively vilifying all of this stuff and i mean it dude it got some crazy stuff uh he also the the same guy john ehrlichman said did we know we were lying about drugs course we did now i don't know i don't know what his story is i don't know if he's a druggie i don't know any of that i mean even me calling him a druggie is pretty bad but all this research started the public idea that we gotta you know you can't have this it started the whole um dare program right which for us growing up in the 80s and 90s that was huge and actually my kids and your kids as well are are in uh, elementary school now and middle school, and there, Dare is still an active program, yeah. just to a smaller extent. And I thought this was crazy. So, 1973, when the DEA was created by Nixon, it had 1,470 agents with a budget less than 75 million. As of last year, 2019, it had over 5,000 agents and a budget of two billion. And so, if you look at what they're doing with two billion dollars, they're really just increasing the rate of crime related to drugs. Yeah. Well, so that's the thing. Is- I, that's why I'm interested to see what happens in Oregon now that they've actually decriminalized all these. To see, uh, it's kind of like when uh, Prohibition ended. Mm. The, the way that things changed after it had been made illegal for some period of time. Yeah, it wasn't too long. Um, it's not the same as if it had always been something that was available to the public legally. I'm interested to see what Oregon's about to do with it. Um, at the same time, like I don't, some of the lighter stuff. Okay, fine. I understand decriminalizing it. And I, I think it's just decriminalized over. It's not recreational, right? Right. It's, it's 
basically you can't just go out and buy it, but you're not going to jail for it anymore. Which so all right, fine. Because realistically, to me, if you're just using it, it, even if it's heroin, I don't care. You're going to kill yourself on heroin, right? But do you need to go to jail for using heroin? No, your life's probably fucked up as it is. Yeah, and it's actually historically speaking regarding drugs in prison, when people go to jail for drugs, it does not improve their situation. No, I mean, and are prisons there to improve their situation? No, prisons are generally for profit. I, well, I mean, so the American prison system, um, this actually this came from the uh, the war on drugs initially, and it has slowly evolved into the situation with mandatory minimum sentencing, where you there are places in the country where you can get arrested three times in a row for drug possession, and then you're going to jail for the rest of your life. I actually, so I, I worked in a garage earlier in my years and we had a guy who had like a, a work I don't know whatever you want to call it like so the prison let him work at the garage because he had had that same situation he had got caught for I think it was weed three times and so he went to jail for it which to me I mean again I don't think a prison system's there to, to, to better your life but I don't care about a guy like I don't even care about a heroin addict going to jail because again if he stays on that path, he's going to die anyways, or she, or whatever. You know, and the prison system, so I guess I agree with Oregon in that fashion. Now, granted, it's still federally illegal. Yes, that's tra- That's correct. It's, now, what, uh, or people in Oregon are going to give a fuck about federally illegal, but... It's interesting to think about what's going to happen going forward now that everything is slowly being legalized on a state level. Uh, federally, I think we're way behind. Uh, which it might change now that Biden's in office. I don't really know. Historically speaking, he's very against drugs because, you know, as a guy in his 70s, he was thoroughly indoctrinated into the war on drugs. Well, his son also has issues, I believe. Right. So he has not only been taught his entire life that drugs are the enemy, his son has a problem with drugs. And whether he is willing to publicly admit that or not, it's still something that's going to basically influences decisions on how he approaches it. But so if, if you tie this back in, you know, if at 1970, Nixon doesn't decide to make this war on drugs. Right. Well, do we still have this idea nowadays? I mean, a lot of drugs weren't even le- illegal at that point. That's true. So and I think it wasn't until 2009, 2010 that we finally saw kind of a little lax with it and to where <clears throat> now you can have people uh, playing with it medically. Not right. playing with it, uh, researching, researching it yeah. medically, um, you know, and scientifically. And it, it really put a huge hindrance on everything we can figure it out. And, I, you know, PTSD is a thing that's uh, close to home with me. I know a lot of guys who have it. Mm-hmm. And if you're fine, they, they've done all sorts of crazy things with PTSD because they literally can't figure out a way to, to, to help these people to where they've done... Um, not spinal taps. I'm sure they've done spinal taps as well, but um, it's the injection you get or a woman gets when she's having a baby. Yeah, that is a spinal tap, uh, isn't it? I can't remember the name of it. Um, well, go ahead, uh, look it up. Well, uh, I'm, I'm going to continue uh, on to what I wanted to talk about here. Uh, basically, when you hear about all this stuff and you think about what we view, how we view psychedelics today, you have to wonder how did we go from we use it as a spiritual aid, and it's widely accepted and actually used across the entire globe to 
now you're going to jail for the rest of your life for having it. Well, you're getting into a, to me, that's a government thing. That's just the government being, right. we need to, we need to have control, which I mean, that's kind of what religion was too, but religion wanted control through giving you the. So I, I, I think that's a matter of opinion. I, I would think that religion in, in general started because human beings have a hard time coping with their, the finality of their life. I think, I think religions are there because there are some people who just need guidance. Historically speaking, if you have a group of people that they know they're going to die and that's something that they can't cope with, whether religion is true or not, that's not something I want to talk about today because that's, that's a whole that's a big topic. four episodes. <laughs> but if you know that you're going to die and your initial belief is that's it, I'm going to turn back into grass. Which is what it is for me. Right. A lot of people can't handle that reality if that is their reality. So throughout the course of history, these stories have kind of developed with, I believe, the assistance of psychedelic substances. Yeah, I think in the beginning, because they had to have some sort of but coming to God moment. Like any good human, we thoroughly destroyed something good. <laughs> uh, that's what we do best. We're but, really good at it. But before the 20th century, uh, even into the late 1800s, it was commonly used. Uh, psychedelics were commonly used. So I'm talking about shrooms, peyote, uh, DMT actually too, because uh, you know, it's it actually still used today down in South America. I know they use it down in South America. I don't know how the hell they get it. So it comes from the ayahuasca plant. Ah. Are you familiar with that? No. It's just a plant that grows in South America. And their shamans down there in all the local tribes through the course of history, they've been able to figure out that if they prepare ayahuasca a certain way, they kind of make this this weird soup with it. Um, and then they do their ceremony where they they sit around I think it's in a circle together and basically a handful of people, sometimes less, they will take this mixture that they make out of ayahuasca. And what they're doing is kind of a crude way to synthesize the DMT out. But this mixture still makes you sick. So what they do is the shaman will guide the people that are using it. Yeah. These people ingest it. Then they're out for 15 or so minutes and they're going on this life altering spiritual trip for 27 years. Right. And it, it really depends on your personal experiences, what happens to you when you're doing this. But this is a full-blown psychedelic trip. You are in a different place, in a different plane of existence, seeing things that you will never see again without it and have never seen before. See, to me, that's crazy. Like, that, Yeah. But these people wake up from it after their 15-year trip through outer space. And that's when the ayahuasca basically is kicking in to make them sick. So it's the, the negative side effects are kicking in and the shaman is there to help guide them not only into this spiritual experience, but out of it as well, because you wake up throwing up what you ate. Which is interesting because nowadays you're, you're seeing that in the medical field Yeah, to where they're literally, we're, it's more, we're doing micro doses, but we're also doing, uh, you know, a bigger doses to, to eight. They're doing a guided trip, so to speak mm-hmm. for depression, anxiety. Uh, what was the other one? Uh, there's a whole host of things that they're using it for. Yeah, it's crazy. But before we get into what we're doing with it, I want to go over the history of how we got here today uh, in modern society. So like I was saying, we used, we as a species used psychedelics right up into the late 1800s. Uh, so that kind of, that view of the psychedelic experience kind of shifted slowly over time. In the early 1900s, 
the uh, lysergic acid uh, as a chemical was synthesized out of ergot. So LSD. Yeah, uh, not LSD. There's a difference. Okay. So I'll, I'll break it down for you. They, they, what they did was they took ergot. Uh, just some researchers. Uh, I don't remember exactly where this happened. This is just something I happen to already know. So what they did was they took ergot off of rye. They brought it into the lab and they synthesized it into a usable chemical, which basically stripped out everything that was causing the negative side effects. And they ended up with lysergic acid. At the time, they didn't know what it was. They yeah, weren't look they at, trying to figure it out for military um, application? Um, I don't know that the details on that, uh, because at the time, they weren't really looking for a psychedelic aspect. They were just synthesizing out the lysergic acid, which is not actually LSD yet. It's just the lysergic acid part. It doesn't have the dithalamide in it. So... Oh, that's the that's right. The the guy who actually created LSD was looking for an application of uh, a military application. It wasn't a military application, actually. So the guy that actually found LSD, he was a researcher. His name was Albert Hoffman, and he was actually the first person in modern times to discover what is known as lysergic acid dithalamide. It wasn't an accident. So he intentionally synthesized it, but what it did was completely unexpected. So. He actually synthesized it and he named it, um, and he he got it out of uh, shrooms. Oh, I didn't know it was in shrooms. Sorry, not. Let me re- reiterate that. So he got he got the LSD out of ergot, but at around the same time, he got the chemical synthesized out of shrooms, which is psilocybin. Oh, okay. But so he was actually a Swiss chemist. He was born in January on January eleventh, nineteen oh six, and he died on April 29, two thousand eight. So he lived to be 102-ish. Damn. That's um, a good run. Yeah. So I think that's pretty strong evidence that if you do a lot of drugs, you're going to live a long time. Did he do a lot of drugs? He definitely did a lot of LSD. I, I, this could be complete uh, hearsay bullshit. But I was, uh, I've always heard that he, he was synthesizing it and he accidentally got it on his skin. Yeah. So he discovered LSD when he was trying to synthesize lysergic acid derivatives. And his intention was to make respiratory and circulatory stimulants. Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would make sense. Yeah. Um, so, it, like I was saying, he actually synthesized it from uh, lysergic acid from ergot. And during one of his routine LSD synthesis experiments, he accidentally absorbed it through his finger. And had a great time? Uh, I wouldn't say that. Let me, let me quote him on what he experienced during this time. So, he got it on his fingertip. And... He, it, it was pretty short order. Within about an, uh, 20 minutes to an hour, he started experiencing some symptoms. So he was aware he got it on him. Uh, which but is crazy I don't that think it absorbed he was prepared, through like that. Yeah, I, I didn't know that it could even happen that way. I don't think he was prepared for what actually happened to him. Yeah. So here's what he said about it. He was affected. So what he said was, I was affected by a remarkable restlessness combined with a slight dizziness. At home, I lay down and sank into a not unpleasant intoxicated-like condition. That's how you know he's a scientist. Yes. So this guy, is, he's, he drugged himself on accident. He's going through this, and he's maintaining a scientific perspective. So he continues, uh, it's an, a, a not unpleasant, intoxicated-like condition, characterized by an extremely stimulated imagination. In a dreamlike state, with eyes closed, I found the daylight to be unpleasantly glaring. I perceived an uninterrupted stream of fantastic pictures, extraordinary shapes with intense kaleidoscopic play of colors. 
After some two hours, this condition faded away. So just think about the small amount he'd have to get on his fingertip because basically his glove was ripped or he just wasn't being careful and just touched it. Yeah, because God knows how they were with that back in the day. Right. So not knowing that this was a psychedelic substance after it's been synthesized out of ergot, I guess you wouldn't think maybe I shouldn't touch it. Uh, I'd imagine he was probably not doing it intentionally. He got it on his fingertip anyway. Uh, But that kind of stuck with him as far as that experience goes. And three days later, uh, on April 19th, 1943, he intentionally ingested 250 micrograms of LSD. Now, I don't know what a normal dosage is, do you? Yeah, so a normal dose of LSD is uh, about 100 micrograms. So he took a shit ton. Yeah, (laughs) but speaking of microdosing, uh, it'll be reactive in the human body as low as 10 to 20 micrograms. Um, Yeah, but at that level, you're probably not seeing anything crazy. Right, so this was his first intentional experience with LSD. So he took... mm, Two and a half times the normal. Two and a half times the typical recreational dose. And uh, through the subsequent events, he named that day uh, Bicycle Day. Now, do we know why he named it Bicycle Day? Uh, Well, to be honest, I don't think it was actually him that named it. I think it was a different researcher later on. Uh, He just rode a bicycle for fucking eight hours. Yeah, but this was an experiment where he used himself as a test subject to determine the true effects of LSD. So he took his 250 micrograms. Within an hour, he experienced sudden and intense changes in perception. Uh, so he was in a situation again where he was, he wasn't with it really. He was with it enough to basically take a scientific perspective, but he couldn't really take care of himself. So he asked his lab assistant to escort him home, and they did. They did go home on the typical transportation that you would take back then. Yeah, which was a bicycle. So, just to set the stage, this man takes. Two and a half times the recreational dose of acid, not knowing what would happen, and decides, I don't feel well, it's time to ride my bike home. (laughs) And the madness that ensues. So, on the way home, his perception of reality started to deteriorate rapidly. And he struggled with some serious feelings of anxiety. And one of the thoughts that he had on his way home was he thought that the next door neighbor was a malevolent witch. Ah, see, there you go, Salem Witch Trials. Exactly. So, one of the first recorded experiences, uh, this guy thinks that his neighbor is a witch. With really, there's no provocation for this. It's just his neighbor. Maybe but beforehand, he just thought she was, you know, kind of had some bitch undertones, gave him the evil eye or something. I'm willing to believe that two and a half times a recreational dose of LSD is going to connect some things in your brain that don't ever belong being connected. I'm sure she was a very nice lady. Probably even brought him cookies. No, fuck that chick. <laughs> but one of the uh, other trains of thought he had while this is all going through his head is he legitimately thought he was losing his mind. I could understand that. He actually, he's basically, from a scientific perspective, watching his mental state deteriorate and thinking, oh my fucking God, I caused myself serious brain damage and I'm never going to be able to basically live a normal life again. Which, I mean... <laughs> So that has happened, and that was part of the whole uh, anti-drug movement was, you know, telling everyone, hey, you're going to lose your fucking mind if you if you drop acid. Which, it was- yeah, it's it's a possibility, but it's, I don't want to say it's rare, but it's not exactly common either. Yeah, I'm not going to cons- tell anyone, hey, go drop acid, it's a good idea. No. you Any kind of substance 
I think it needs to be done under a controlled setting until you know how you're going to react. I mean, even alcohol. But uh, he went through the stages of he thought his neighbor was a witch. He thought he was losing his mind. Uh, then he moved on to thinking the LSD had poisoned him and he was going to die. Uh, but to him, coming back to LSD can change your perception of time. He thought his trip home took weeks. That's awesome. So this was just an endless bicycle trip for him. Which is probably the most miserable bicycle trip ever. Because at that point, it seems like he was having a bad trip. Yeah. So if you're riding your bike to work, you live pretty close. Could you imagine getting on your bicycle and you're, you're going to go home a five-minute ride? Three weeks later, you're <laughs> passing your fucking crazy-ass witch neighbor. <laughs> and at that rate, it took him probably three days to pass that witch. You're probably right. He's probably just pissing himself the entire time. So after his three-week adventure to get his bicycle home, uh, when he got home, he called his doctor. Doctor came out and did a full physical on him. And he found him in good health. Absolutely nothing wrong with him, with the exception of incredibly, incredibly dilated pupils. How long afterwards? Completely pinned out. Well, this was you got to think after? about, this is night. So the, okay, so the, so the doctor home. came and saw him while he was still yeah. tripping. I thought Doctors, for some yeah. reason you said like a week later. Maybe yeah. that was me this getting was, into the three weeks no, crossing the witch. This was LSD weeks. This was LSD weeks. So for him, it's just yeah. maybe a 10 minute ride home on his bicycle. And after experiencing all these negative symptoms from his massive quantity of drugs, he decided I better call the doctor, yeah. which to be fair is a good choice. Um, so the doctor came over you to his house and really, found nothing really wrong. Big pupils. Yeah. So as he progressed into his, uh, psychedelic state his fear subsided his anxiety died down and that kind of gave way to this euphoria which if you're on an, a appropriate amount you're probably going to experience that the whole time <laughs> yeah not if you're on two and a half uh, times yeah not guaranteed yeah but if you're on that amount i can see why well not to mention he didn't know what he was getting into but he another quote from him after he, he started to come down and was experiencing the euphoric effects of it Little by little, I could begin to enjoy the unprecedented colors and plays of shapes that persisted behind my closed eyes. Kaleidoscopic, fantastic images surged in on me, alternating, variegated, opening, and then closing themselves in circles and spirals, exploding in colored fountains, rearranging and hybridizing themselves no, in constant I'm a dumb monkey. Flux. I need those things translated into regular English. <laughs> he saw a kaleidoscope of images. He, he saw... Yeah, he saw a real-life kaleidoscope in the entire field of his view, which, to be honest, yeah, sounds cool old. as fuck. Uh, yeah, three weeks of kaleidoscopes? Uh, <laughs> I actually, I had another psychedelic experience. So you were meditating and you had a kaleidoscope? That, so. No, this was uh-huh. far worse than that. It was a negative experience. So back to the topic of weed can cause a psychedelic trip. I never I even either. knew about that. Uh, that was that was new information for me. Even looking back yeah. now, I didn't know that's what happened until I started reading about what actually goes on. So you have to smoke Pounds. <laughs> an absurd amount of pot to have a trip. And I don't know anybody personally that has done that besides me. But you know, you can find uh, stories about it online. For me, what happened was I smoked. I, I can't even tell you how much it was because back when I was about nineteen okay, or so. That's all I did. I'd go to work, got get out of you work. Were like every other nineteen year old. 
They were boofing this shit. That was was it. That that was my life. (laughs) So me and the boys were up in the bedroom uh, playing some video games, smoking all the weed we can get our our, uh, hands on. And I start to feel really weird. Like not not high weird. Like everything in my body just seemed like it was misfiring. And have you ever been so drunk that the room was spinning? So what actually happened to me? So what actually happened to me it initially started out as spinning. So I sat down, obviously, mm. because I knew oh, I've had too much. That's it's pretty rapidly devolved into what was essentially a fun house tumble. No. They're you ever hor- see those? They they're on a they're on a horizontal spin. axis. Oh, yeah. You have yeah, to yeah. walk through them and they spin. Well, for me, it was the from the point of view of sitting in the center of that, watching it spin up over my room. head. Yeah. I it was to the point where I actually, I could feel myself looking up and coming back down as if it was actually spinning because the room. While being sober myself, and oh, just yeah. watch it down, up, down. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, I, so I was losing my fucking shit. My buddies were I'm in there like, like Jerry, you okay? And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. Can you see this? The room is spinning. It's going over my head. And the whole time I'm yeah, trying not to throw up because and it, I'm all fucked up and the room is spinning. This thing was going at like 3,000 RPM. Pay, pay, pay I could barely that. see. I could barely see my friend in the doorway while he was talking. It, he he was a literal blur. It. I'm not even joking when I tell you, I could see the <laughs> room like spinning around me. It's not like I was sick and That's dizzy. That's great. The room was moving, and I got to the point where all I could do was sit back on the couch, close my eyes, Eve. and basically, so I did throw up once. But I got to the point where I said to myself, okay, <laughs> I'm going to die. Terms with death. I can live with that. I came to terms with death in this instant. I said, I'm going to die because I can't breathe. I just don't want to puke anymore. <laughs> and all I could do was lay back, close my eyes, and do some controlled breathing That's for about great. an hour and a half. But what was crazy was for me, that was a really? fucking lifetime. Well, yeah, I mean, because in those situations, you're, you're focusing on things. Time changes. Whether, whether or not the, the weed on top of it oh, changes yeah. time for you, too. But your brain can change things like that. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> so, coming well, back you to start where on we that, left off here. The word I was looking for, because I'm a big dumb monkey, was epidural. They're using oh, epidural yeah. injections to oh, work yeah. on PTSD. That's right. yes. yes. Okay. So, we'll, we'll get onto the PTSD thing shortly here. Um, so, basically, Hoffman saw all these great colors after he had this Tripping terrible... Case. Terrible trip. Yeah. So he survived his witch neighbor. He survived a complete mental breakdown where he lost all sanity. Uh, so he comes out of it. And after this event and subsequent self-experimentation, he viewed LSD as a powerful psychiatric tool due to its intense and introspective nature. So he actually found this so powerful and so profound that he didn't even imagine someone would want to take well, it recreationally. It sounds like he was almost using it as a, as a way to be more creative. So he, he essentially, I can't say he didn't enjoy it because he did on record say that it was an enjoyable experience, but he kept taking it just to study the effects, which if you've ever done anything psychedelic in quantity large enough to actually trip, it can be a very introspective experience oh, yeah. where you really reflect on yourself a lot. But it makes uh, sense to... Actually, to and it, this goes back in the day and kind of ties into the stoned ape theory of if you're, you know, we're at one point, we're not thinking about anything new. And all of a sudden, 
you know, we, we, we ingest something and our brains literally, uh, creativity explodes. And now uh, we figured, we figured out how to make something new. Yeah. So he went through all this for the the purposes of scientific research while simultaneously enjoying it. You have to enjoy your work. Um, but unbeknownst to me, this bicycle day really? is actually yeah. celebrated Where? every April 19th. Really? Yeah. So every, every April 19th uh, in the psychedelic community, it's their version of 420. But it's, it's April an underground 19th? national holiday. So it's literally the day before 420? Yes. Yeah. What the fuck? I <laughs> yes. I, I didn't even know that. I never heard of it before. Uh, but so he, he made a lot of major breakthroughs on how LSD works, what it could do for you mentally. It was pretty well documented all the effects yeah. and side effects that it would have on a human being. Uh, because this crazy son of a bitch just took all of it. Just as fast as he was making it, he was taking it. I'm sure he shared it with other other people. I don't really know. Um, but his discoveries led to the U.S. government doing what it? they do best. Using yeah, something course. cool for nefarious purposes. Um, that led... So that was 1943 that he started that discovery. And that led directly into the 50s and 60s where the government uh, I know where you're and going the CIA... Yeah, which this is going to tie right into how the war on drugs came to happen. In the 50s, the CIA started this uh, covert mission uh, experiment. Yeah, the CIA was so good at doing all that back then. Yeah, Uh, and they they dubbed this Mm. MK Ultra. Uh, A lot of you might already know what this is. I do not. I know of it. So MK MK Ultra. I, I knew what it was already. And I've actually watched a lot of documentaries on it. It's just this crazy experiment that the U.S. government was doing to really unsuspecting people. Uh, but they basically what they did was in the 50s and 60s, and actually they scrapped it in 1973. So after yeah, so all this drugs information in that they got from this is what they used we, for yeah, war on drugs. But we we don't fully understand or know everything involved with this because the the records they kept were very very poor and a lot of them that well, they did from keep my understanding were of it is it was so haphazard and random on who they did it to well that that was intentional so the u.s government performed these mind control experiments using lsd uh out of fear that russia china and north korea were already using it on american pow's yeah. during uh world war ii um but these psychedelic test subjects which was students uh prostitution I mean, customers. it was literally everyone. It was like, oh, we're in an people. office yeah. with Bob. Fuck it. Spike Bob's yeah. drink. It pretty much, that actually did happen. Um, but they, a lot of times, these people didn't even know that they were being drugged, even when these side effects Yeah, they just thought they were losing their fucking in. minds. Yeah. It, they did some fucked up shit, but they did all of this. The CIA started all this testing under the direction of their chemist that they had employed and a poison expert uh. named Sidney Gottlieb. So Sydney, this fucking bastard, <laughs> the sixth son of a bitch thought that LSD had mind-altering properties that could be used for brainwashing or, my favorite, this is the uh, the military application I was talking about. Yes, yes. So that's actually where MK Ultra comes into play. They were doing all these experiments on unsuspecting victims and some that were aware of it. I feel bad for the ones for that were military weren't. purposes. Dude, you just be Could you like, imagine? literally, you're like, if you, you're having a logical thought and all of a sudden, you know, you're in, you're going to the grocery store to pick up lo- dinner or something. And all of a sudden the wall starts melting. You're going to think you're literally gone insane. 
And they would intentionally do this to these people and monitor them while it happened. While they basically had a complete breakdown of their ego and mental state. I gotta imagine one of them just said, fuck it, and started murking people. Uh, That actually was an issue that that had come about in the the 60s, where they they had a couple instances in the recreational side of things where people would either kill someone else or themselves. Not because the drug drove them crazy, uh, but because they were hallucinating and seeing some shit that scared the fuck out of them. Yes. <laughs> which comes back to setting. Do it at home, um, kids. So Sydney. <laughs> so Sydney, um, under the MK Ultra and uh, the C- uh, under Sydney, MK Ultra and the CIA, uh, they funded studies at Columbia University, Stanford, and other colleges. About uh, to figure out the effects of LSD. Uh, I don't know how much the colleges actually knew. Well, because also, again, again the if they were just terrible. dosing up Bob at the table, like did so, they yeah. tell the colleges? A lot of the colleges. So a lot of the colleges took volunteers. Um, I, I'm inclined to believe that the colleges thought that they were doing this for medical research, because all of the universities determined that uh, LSD was way too unpredictable for counterintelligence. Oh, as far use. as like a truth serum or something? Yeah. Yeah. So after it was determined that they couldn't use it for military purposes according to the studies, the CIA said, nah, fuck that. We're going to keep doing it. So they sanctioned similar experience using other drugs on top of LSD. So they're using so LSD something and something else or the they're, medical they're community. trying LSD among other things? So LSD was, so LSD yeah. was their main target. But then these medically sanctioned tests determined it's too unpredictable, you can't use it. Uh, so what they did was they moved on to other drugs, which uh, yep. they chose MDMA, ecstasy. which if you don't know what that is, ecstasy, uh, mescaline, uh, heroin, barbiturates, methamphetamine, and psilocybin. So they basically just took every drug they could find and said, yeah. see if you can control brains with this. Here's the medicine cabinet. Go at it. Uh, but yeah. During, yeah. So during these experiments, uh, outside of uh, the sanctioned ones that you know the public would be aware of if they even were at the time, uh, they would drug people with LSD and potentially some of these other drugs. But yep. LSD was the most powerful one for brainwashing, uh, and they would brainwash them oh, into being yeah, sleepers. Yeah. So they were th- they would train them while they were tripping. So yeah, so they train them while they're tripping, give them all these instructions, and basically make. It, it's highly unlikely they were a super soldier because how yeah. effective can you be when you're tripping balls? But I understand what they were going for. Um, They're going for a subconscious thing where, all right, we're gonna we're, we're gonna we're gonna dose you. You're gonna trip face while you're tripping face. We're gonna make you Jason Bourne. Yeah. And then when you come back, you're not gonna know it. And then later we'll say like banana, and all of a sudden you'll just fucking start killing. Yeah. People. They, they had what? <laughs> looking back now, there's some pretty mundane oh, yeah. code words, uh, trigger words to basically activate whoever their sleeper agent was. Uh, one, I don't know if it's confirmed or not, uh, but the oh, yeah, yeah. box. I've heard about that. Yeah. So I don't know really what the method, the thought behind Fox was, because if, it, if that happened in passing, you just... I was going to say, I would think you'd want to use a word that you weren't going to hear very often. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but their intention was to have undercover agents who can infiltrate foreign governments and uh, foreign groups without even knowing that they yeah. were an infiltrating this is like party. S- um, naked so guns. they would. Yes. 
Uh, and I'd imagine that it probably went <laughs> just as well. The queen's still uh, alive. Yes, I know. As queen. the queen's still alive, and essentially, MK Ultra was an utter failure. Uh, they did get a lot of really cool information at the expense of yeah, some poor unsuspecting. That's crazy. Um, but they tried to introduce these code words that would trigger the sleeper agents, uh, their drug field training, and drop them back into that altered state to do things like assassinate Fidel Castro. So instead of, of the queen, goal. it was Fidel. Yeah. Um, yeah, or basically just other anyone who didn't leaders that agree with the U.S. at that time. The typical, yeah. the typical United States government MO was, you know, uh, this guy's inconvenient, we better kill him. Uh, so Fidel Castro was actually a legitimate target that they Obviously wanted to we, kill we with failed. this method. Yes. That, so that, that didn't work out for them. Uh, but MKUltra had some other sub-experiments within them. Uh, they had another one called Operation Yeah, I love how Midnight they come up Climax. with their names, but go on. So actually, so actually MKUltra, I don't really know I'm sure there's something. where that name came from. But Operation Midnight Climax is the perfect title. Whoever thought of this name for this experiment yep, or this operation, the basement. he deserves a raise. I hope he got it. Why? What is this so, Midnight Climax? This is a project where the CIA hired prostitutes. They would, ah. they, they, the CIA owned and operated brothels, employed actual prostitutes. Yeah, the CIA got their hands into everything. Yeah. Uh, there, there was nothing off limits back then. So what they did was they set up a legitimate prostitution ring. Government-sanctioned prostitution. And they'd get them to go out and bring men back to the safe house. Uh, which, quote-unquote, safe house. It was a fucking horror show. A horror show or a bug fest? Not bugs and bugs, bugs, but bugs and microphones. No need for bugs. I'll explain why. So, when they got brought back to the safe house, they were subsequently drugged and then observed. The men, not the prostitutes? Well, the prostitutes were employed. They knew what was happening. Oh, right. They were actually the ones drugging these, uh, the Johns. Oh, nice. Uh, because that's really the only way you could get them to do it, uh, to get these people to take the drug. Yeah. They would put it in their drink. These people would drink it right before they got laid and totally fuck their world up. Yeah. Uh, so. Could you imagine you're a 20-year-old guy, you've never had sex before, you're really nervous about it, so you know what? You're that one, you're going to go get a prostitute. I'm going to go get a prostitute because I know if I fuck up, it doesn't matter. <laughs> hey then, guys, when I blew my load, I started seeing shit. Could you imagine though if the <laughs> John number one, just call him John. John grows up in an ultra-Catholic family. Yep. And his, he's been raised his entire life. Johnny, you don't want to go and uh, have sex before marriage. That's you're gonna go to hell for that. Sexual thoughts are bad, Johnny. You don't want hair on your palms. And if you keep doing that, you're gonna go blind. And if that doesn't stop you, you're gonna have sex with some whore and you're gonna go to hell. You're gonna burn on the razor rope to hell. So Johnny didn't listen. Had Johnny didn't listen. Fuck palms. So he spent his entire life <laughs> indoctrinated by his religious parents. Yep. Which we all know how that goes. And he finds this nice looking lady, gives her his 10 bucks or whatever it was in the 60s. Yep. And as soon as he has a drink with her and sits down to do the deed, he starts losing his fucking mind. I bet it was a great lay, but yeah. <laughs> well, just imagine the setting you're in when, in the back of your mind, you're expecting to go to hell for this. Well, yeah, he's going to hell now. You start tripping. Could you imagine the shit this poor bastard was seeing? Literally, the devil's fucking him now. This guy walks into the room, looks at this prostitute, says, you know what? I'm going to bust that pussy open like a can of biscuits. 
Next thing you know, that pussy's growing horns. Uh, I, I couldn't imagine. But it goes beyond just bugging them and listening in. Oh, yeah. Well, proof. All these rooms, almost all of them, actually, most of the experiments that took place in these whorehouses uh, were in San Francisco and New York City. Of course. Uh, and these San the CIA and scientific observers were actually behind a two-way mirror. So they were in the room. Yeah, just watching this whole thing go down. And you imagine that's your job. Yeah. So what do you do today? I watched 15 Johns lose their mind. <laughs> the people that were actually on the uh, observation side of the mirror, they said it was basically like a, a free range party atmosphere. They're yeah. sitting back there with their literal cocktails and cigars, having a fucking fantastic time. Must have been the life. While this guy is losing every bit of humanity he has in him. Yeah. The, after that day, he became a monk. <laughs> And what's worse is- I'm never going to touch a woman again. A lot of these people never got answers on it. They assumed they had this crazy, crazy fucking mental breakdown and never got any information on why or how it happened. Fucking government in the 50s and 60s. Crazy bastards. Yeah. Uh, I think that was probably one of the worst things that they did. Aside from the individual tortures. Well, I'm sure there's worse than that, but we just don't know about it. Yeah. uh, There's still a lot of paper with black ink out there. So a lot of this came out with the Freedom of Information Act, which is how we know- all this shit happened. Um, but they were actually so fucking evil that they actually did it to their own agents without telling them. Uh, the most popular agent they did it to was Frank Olson. Uh, he actually died. Some would say it was a direct result of what happened. <clears throat> uh, but he died under sus- suspicious circumstances when he fell from a hotel window in New York City. And that was on November 28th, 1953. Uh, this is where they got that idea that everyone, they, they they literally had an anti-drug video on people jumping out of buildings because they thought they could fly. That actually, that might be anecdotal, but I've heard a lot about that happening, which makes sense because if, if you're tripping balls and your your brain doesn't disconnect from your body. You but I wonder how much fly. of that was actual people having that feeling and thinking it, or we spread it as a, you know, a, a, a we're using fear to control the public. Yeah, I'm sure that a lot of it was hyperbole that they wanted to scare the shit out of people with. Um, but what actually happened to Frank Olson was he was at a CIA uh, retreat. And <laughs> Dude so was I, relaxing on top of it? Fuck. Yeah, so he was at this retreat with all of his CIA buddies, and the people that were involved in MKUltra slipped LSD into his drink. And of course- just spiking everyone. Yet again, this guy just loses his fucking shit because- he has no idea what's about to happen to him. Yeah. Um, but his family actually, they found out later on that that's what would actually happen to him, which was three days before he, he fell to his death under yeah. suspicious circumstances. Uh, they actually had a second autopsy done in 1994, so they exhumed his body. Yeah, what the hell can they find in 94, though? Well, they did find evidence that he had psychedelics in his system which blew my mind that they could still see that yeah i mean i imagine it because he probably had it when when he killed when he was killed or he killed himself whatever happened yeah so it's within three days of probably an inappropriately large dose yeah so i imagine it would still be in your body at that point um but there was actually a lot of volunteers for this mk ultra study as well free acid basically but at, well at the time they didn't really know what acid was because you have to think back to the 60s before the the hippie movement, it was 1943 that acid was made. Yeah, but I, it wasn't all of the 60s, pretty much. Just free-range acid. 
Yes, and it's actually a direct result of MK Ultra. Without uh-huh. MK Ultra, that the '60s hippie revolution never would have happened. Really? Yeah. So, you know, they, all these college studies, uh, like uh, Oxford and uh, the the places that were doing the yep. study for the government, they they kind of have to be more legitimate. They can't just sneak it into someone's food or their drink. So we think. Uh, as far as we know. So they put out basically a rec for people to come in and volunteer for this. And, you know, if you're a college kid and you like drugs, why not? Yeah, fuck yeah. Gonna get fucked up for I know plenty of people money. who would do it today. <laughs> uh, yeah, without a doubt. Uh, one of the most notable test volunteers was Ken, I think it's pronounced Casey. You want to look that up while I'm talking about this? I just want to make sure I get it right. Uh, Ken Casey is uh, the author of the 1962 novel One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which... Yeah, it's Kenneth Casey. Yeah, Ken Casey. So he was actually a volunteer. So he went there knowing what he was getting involved in. It was some kind of drug, and it would have a mental experience. Yeah. Which you have to kind of think, can you argue that 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 really influenced his psyche later on? Or did he get all of his ideas from that? Potentially. Uh, But he volunteered to uh, trip for America as a college student at Stanford. Uh, he liked it so much that he started hosting his own LSD parties. So uh, you might say he is fully responsible with the help of the government for kind of introducing acid to the general public. Making hippies? Yeah. He is the hippie godfather. Cartman would murder him. Yeah. So these parties, they're what kicked off the psychedelic 60s and hippie culture. Uh, and that's what got psychedelics onto the world stage in recent history. Uh, but there were actually other... Pretty famous people that were part of this study that volunteered. Yeah. Uh, one was Whitey Bulger. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so Whitey Bulger was a volunteer for MKUltra. Uh, there's another one. Which I know when you get into a lot of uh, the psychedelic stuff, Yeah. They, they sh- one of the side effects is a complete loss of um, fear of death. Yeah, well, it's a, it's, they call it a death of the ego, which is what's directly attached to your fear of mortality. Uh, yeah. But <laughs> this this actually shocked me a lot. Ted the Unabomber Kaczynski oh, was another a one. volunteer. And so was the lyricist Robert Hunter for The Grateful Dead. <laughs> so you have all walks of life that are walking into this yeah. thing. Uh, but The Grateful Dead also, their, all, their entire existence as a band was based on a psychedelic experience. Oh, absolutely. Uh, the Dancing Bears. I, I don't really like them. Yeah, no, I was never a fan. But there's a lot of people that are from that time frame. They will tell you, if you don't go to the the Grateful Dead on acid, you didn't go to the Grateful Dead. It That music was written for people on acid. Maybe that's why you and I don't like it. Maybe. I've never done acid. <laughs> so, that guy, that's what actually kicked off the government's use, is MKUltra. Um, and that ended in 1973. So the government, basically, they put all this shit out there into the general population and then made it illegal. Yeah, of course. Which which kind of plays into the whole idea of, hey, we, that hippies are against us because we're trying to do war or whatever. We need to find a way to put them in jail and destroy their culture. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's what the government does. It's just beyond fucked up. So. I would say probably like you were t- saying earlier around 2009 was when 
the war on drugs kind of started to dial back because yeah. you can say what you want about millennials and Generation Z. They have a lot of flaws, but what I like about their their views on things is things like uh, narcotic use, for example. Historically speaking, as they grew up, these things were all illegal, but they are now more open to their use for something more appropriate, not yeah. recreation. Yeah, you're talking we're actually putting research into it medically, scientifically. Yeah. So they're not saying legalize all drugs and just let God sort them out. They're saying, you know what? Psychedelics could be something here. Yeah. Uh, that probably comes from the fact that there's so much information that you can get your hands on now. I also so think can, we have more of a logical mindset nowadays. Yeah, it's a, a lot of it back in early 1900s, right up through the 90s, everything was fear-based. Yeah. Because that was kind of how the government operated, starting with World War I they found that fear was an excellent motivator. Uh, so you look at World War II, things like uh, the food shortage. They used the food shortage to drive people as Americans to rally together and make all these sacrifices as individuals that they made to help the war effort, which makes sense at the time, but they never really let go of that method. Yeah, and it doesn't work so well nowadays. No, because there's so much free information out there and fake information. Well, that's what I wonder nowadays. Are they just putting out things nowadays, especially with cancel culture and everything, to fuel things? You know, I mean, who's to say who starts these waves we're seeing now of, uh, you know, whatever it may be, uh, Black Lives Matter or, you know, right. it, it, so on and so forth. <clears throat> you know, who who's starting these? Is it is it the public? Is it the government? Are they just trying to start civil unrest? I don't know. Well, at the very least, if the government's not starting it, I know that they're, they've been known to take part in making the situation a little worse, especially when two, two different organizations or groups are clashing on an idea. All right, so after uh, the, the Freedom of Information Act came out, people started to get the information on what the government was doing. That kind of, I think, put the seed in their mind to really look at what could we actually do with all these things that they basically took away from the general population. Yep. Um, and that led into where we are now, where there's all these medical research studies happening to see what can we actually do with psychedelics. We know they have a very powerful psychological effect, mm. um, but it came out actually in 2015 that a whole bunch of Google developers gave up on Adderall and switched to microdosing LSD. Really? Yeah. Uh, for them, a microdose was 10 to 20 micrograms every couple of days. and since then, that technique has spread through Silicon Valley, and it's now infiltrating other industries. Because I know microdosing has gotten extremely popular. Yeah, that's so for actual beneficial purposes, not spiritual or tripping purposes, microdosing is about the only way you can do it, uh, yeah. because that gives you a lot of the psychological effects without hallucinations and a drastic change in how you're perceiving reality. Yeah. Um. But Steve Jobs and Bill Gates both experimented with LSD. Really? Yeah. Which I thought that was some cool shit because, you know, these, you got these two people who they've kind of, they've bucked that whole idea that they grew up with that psychedelics are bad. They took them and now they, well, Steve Jobs is dead, but that's unrelated. They would have both been two of the most powerful people on earth. Oh, hands down. Uh I mean, look at Bill Gates. He's so powerful, he thinks he's the world's leading authority on pandemics. He might know a lot, but he's still not a medical profession. No, but I don't uh, disagree with the way he's going. But microdosing LSD 
uh, through medical research, they've discovered that it actually enhances overall well-being. I can imagine that. Yeah, because what it does is it has a positive influence on serotonin levels and it reduces stress and anxiety while simultaneously improving sleep and it leads to better, healthier habits. Uh, just life habits in general. I can imagine it just changes your mindset and everything yeah, as far so as just a, being more positive in life. It has a very specific way that it does that. Um, and in 2016, the Imperial College in London, uh, they did some research on and did brain scans to see how the brain worked under the influence of LSD. Yeah? Yeah. And so what they said was it had what they called a disorganizing influence on cortical activity, and it permitted freer and less constrained brain operation. So basically, it just, it unlocked your brain from being so structured. So you could kind of, you get outside the boxes. I was going to say, you're forgetting about all the normal daily bullshit that's in your life. Uh, I, I don't know if forgetting is the right term. Um, uh, I would say so. So here, here's what they actually found that it did. It appeared to increase the communication between brain regions that didn't normally communicate. And then it appeared to also decrease the communication between brain regions that normally communicated uh, when you're not under the influence of LSD. Uh, but they actually found that it helps with psychiatric disorders uh, for a pretty major reason. Uh, most of these disorders are characterized by inflexible, habitual patterns of brain activity, and that prevents a simple change in your state of mind because you develop a structure, and as human beings, we're very good at adapting to what we have, whatever that situation may be. Um, so if you end up somehow through whatever situation you're in, in a cycle of negativity or drug addiction or depression. Which is plenty of Americans. The way your brain operates is it gets stuck in that cycle. Because it's so structured, it builds tolerance and it builds a, a habituation. Mm. And it, it becomes Almost like an habit. addiction? Yeah, it's basically what it is. And what they found was LSD would break that brain cycle. And it, allow, it would allow you to come out of that box that you're trapped yourself in. Uh, and basically, it it kind of lets you restructure your brain under the guidance of uh, like a clinical psychologist. I was gonna say, which makes sense with you're hearing a lot of day, a lot of times nowadays that people are using it almost like a reset. Yeah, they're using it because they've gotten into these bad habits of negativity or whatever, and now they're using it to reset themselves to to you know hit that hit that reset on the brain. Yeah. Uh, so they actually found that it, through this kind of reset effect. Uh, it would help with things like substance addi addiction, OCD, and treatment-resistant major depression, which I kind of just assumed all major depression was treatment-resistant, but I guess there's yeah. something specific where it's like the worst kind. Uh, but then there was another study in 2018 at the Cognitive Psychology Unit in Leiden Inst and, and Leiden Institute for Brain and Cognition at Leiden University. It's uh, what? one hell of a fucking mouthful. <laughs> uh, brain science at Leiden University. Uh, the stuffs and the things. Uh, but this was performed uh, by the leading researcher, Luisa Prochikova. Nice. Nice. I, I might be butchering that. Nope, I, nope that's fine. I, I'm going to go with that. Prochikova. Uh, but her study actually showed evidence of increased cognitive abilities related to creati creativity and divergent thinking. Things like creative problem solving. Uh, for example, one of the tests they did was, it's, I wouldn't say it was an official study because there were no double-blind studies on it. Mm. Uh, there were no control groups. But what they did was they would give a pen to the uh, subject, the test yep. subject, while they were not under the influence. 
basically asked him to come up with different things you can do with this pen besides writing. And okay. then they would repeat the study later on while they were under the effects of a microdose of LSD. Yeah. And they would give him the pen or some some cases a towel and say, come up with something you can do with this that does not traditionally why it was designed to be, or what it was designed to be used. And it increased their rate of success by somewhere around 30 or 40 percent. Rate of success as far as what? The- as far as coming up with alternative uses uh, okay, gotcha. for these items. Um, now, one thing it does not do for you. So we, we can already determine that it changes the structure of your brain when you're under the influence and potentially permanently. So you can be more, more creative, more fluid thinking and kind of outside the box. Yeah. It does not have any evidence whatsoever under any study of improved cognitive performance and traditional fluid intelligence, which would be things like traditional problem solving. Yeah, that would make sense, though. Rational thinking and uh, abstract reasoning ability. So basically structured thinking inside of a set of constraints like math. Well, again, you've, you're disconnecting the, like the study said before, you're disconnecting the parts of your brain that are normally firing. Yeah. Or did not disconnect, but weakening those connections. And you're, you're heightening other areas that we don't use so much. So that makes sense. Yeah. So I think, that, like, if you want to take a look at this from another perspective, I know you have a different uh, view of this than I do, but if you look at people with um, uh, attention deficit disorder, their brain operates differently. Which technically both of us have been told we have. Yes. And while I don't think it's really neg- negatively impacted me outside of when I was in elementary school, a teacher didn't know how to operate under a structured teaching setting with me. Um, what I found that is different after talking to a lot of people that are kind of open to these ideas, people with attention deficit disorder, their thought process operates differently than someone who has clearly been, you know, they, they clearly haven't been diagnosed with, uh, ADD. They don't have it. They have a normal thinking process, which is very regimented for me personally with ADD. It's never been an issue in terms of getting things done, which for some people it is. I think it's kind of different. Yeah, like it a depends spectrum. on the level. So for me, what actually is the major symptom for me is I have this, the typical issue of racing thoughts, but over the course of my life, I've developed my own way of coping with that. Yeah, as many of us have. So what actually happens to me now that I figure out what's going on in my head through many introspective uh, events, I guess you could say, I think a lot about how things operate like that, which yeah. is why we're doing this podcast because you and I like to learn about stuff like that. Absolutely. And actually some the Ritalin and Adderall are on those the list of drugs. I think they're all class I think they're they made into class three or somewhere schedule three, whatever right. the hell they call it. So you'd have to have a prescription for that. Otherwise it's illegal. Uh but for me, like I was saying with ADD, I have a lot of simultaneous thoughts. Mm. Like if I come across a situation, I can simultaneously have at the exact same time a positive thought with you're hearing the voice in your head like make a comment on it at the exact same time in the exact same force i can uh voice i can hear a negative thought about it so i can carry on multiple trains of thought like we're talking right now yes and there's a lot of things happening in the background in my head where we can be talking about a topic and this whatever this thought is in the back of my head at at the time might not be related at all yeah and it's going off on its own but at the same time it's all connected to each other so i can kind of connect what all those other thoughts are back to what I'm actually talking about, mm. which I have found really, 
really helps with creative problem solving. Oh, absolutely. It gives you more of a, hey, you can attack a project from three different angles. Yeah. So you're not stuck on one idea. And if you're constantly doing that in life, it gives you more of an open view on things. Right. So there, I know there are a lot of people that have ADD in a more severe form, and they can't have a structured thought to save their life, which I've kind of developed a way that I can actually have a structured thought just in the forefront of the less structured thoughts. It's kind of a weird thing, but you do what you have to do. Yeah. Uh, so basically what they're finding is the, while things like ADD have major issues in some people's lives, there are benefits to being able to think in a, a freer form, mm. which when you're taking psychedelics, it unlocks that regimented section of your brain. Now, are you saying that people with ADD, if they're taking this, the, these drugs, that they're going to have a different method, or you're just saying it's almost similar to having ADD? I would say it's similar to the freer structure of people that are thinking with ADD. Gotcha. So if you, are, if you have ADD and you end up on something like Ritalin or Adderall, what it does is it restructures the way your brain's operating yeah. to a more regimented way. Uh, and that's why you can see a lot of kids that get on this, they calm down they sit still in class and they can focus on what's happening because they don't have the racing thoughts anymore. Yeah, where if a normal person takes it, it's almost like like just like Coke. Yeah, but well, I don't person, have any... Person without ADD. I don't, I don't have any uh, clinical research evidence to back this up, but I think that those kinds of drugs for kids with ADD, while they will give you the desired effect at the time, I think it has a negative impact on them uh, in terms of things like disassociative disorders where it breaks down how your brain is... Sub- is naturally working. Yeah. Which is kind of the way it happens with psychedelics, just in the opposite way. Yeah. I mean, you're getting into another, another subject there too, because both of us are kind of on the same plane where we, we don't agree too much on taking medicines. We're no. not anti-vaxxers. Uh, at least I'm not. No, but I'm not either. If I can find a way where I can correct a problem, either through diet, exercise or whatever, or just talking, I'm going to go that route versus medicine. Yeah. And I actually, I, I'd have to say that I'm pretty much on the exact same page as you, but after doing this research, there's a lot of promising uh, research coming out about psilocybin, uh, yeah, other, using other forms. stuff that normally we wouldn't use before. Yeah, you wouldn't normally use it, but microdosing, it seems to only have a positive impact on most people. Now, would you, would you be more likely to use a medicine as far as a, as a, a natural like psilocybin for a microdose versus a Ritalin? Yes, I would I would say I would. That's yeah. interesting. So you got to kind of think about what their what their purpose is when they're designing or researching that medication. Ritalin is to put you back in line. I think a lot of it comes kind down to normalize, money. <laughs> normalize your your brain, which like you're saying, it comes down to the pharmaceutical industry and money. I think that because that's what's the driving factor for a lot of people, there's actually a lot more promise for psychedelics. Because people younger than 40, I'll say, uh, the younger generations are very interested in that. And I think they're really willing to put out a lot of money to make that happen. Yeah. On the other end of it, hopefully it's not so well that Big Pharma and everyone else pays for it to not become a thing. I guess we'll find out. I guess we will. Well, you beautiful bastards, we hope you enjoyed this week's episode. I know we sure did. Now, next week, we're coming back with a special guest, and we're going to be talking about a topic that I think really relates to a lot of the things that are happening in the world today. But we're looking forward to talking to everybody next week. 
And in between then and now, if you could take a minute to just go and rate us on whatever podcast streaming service you're using, that would really help make this podcast a better listening experience for everybody.